side returned. Colin Kaepernick. 2016, Colin Kaepernick took a knee. We all know the story. Colin Kaepernick was blackballed from the NFL. Now, in 2020, we've had this social movement. We've seen the resurgence of Black Lives Matter in the wake of the deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor. And now we have a society have come to the point where it's not debatable. Black Lives Matter. We're looking back at the actions of Colin Kaepernick. Some of us were on the right side of it the entire time. Some of us were not. Or should I say some of y'all were not. However, we're in 2020 and most people look back at Colin Kaepernick and what he did in 2016 and say that was, an, that was a reasonable thing to do. It's funny how violent protest does that. I'm not going to sit up here and advocate for looting or anything of that nature, right? We, we don't like to see violence in our country in any capacity. But it's funny how violent protests helps people reflect and look back and appreciate peaceful protest. It's funny how that works. Um, that's besides the point. Getting into this issue of Colin Kaepernick, it really feels like the stars are aligning for Colin Kaepernick to re-enter the NFL. And we've seen Anthony Lynn, head coach of the Chargers, he's come out and made statements such as, oh, if you don't have Colin Kaepernick on your workout list, you're crazy. He's definitely going to look into bringing Colin Kaepernick in for a workout. We've seen Pete Carroll say things of, I wish I would have, excuse me. We've seen Pete Carroll say, I wish I would have signed Colin Kaepernick in 2016. I regret not signing Colin Kaepernick in 2016. It's a weird thing to say considering he still has the the power to sign Colin Kaepernick today if he wanted to. But it really seems like the stars are aligning for Colin Kaepernick to make his re-entrance to the NFL. Even Roger Goodell. (laughs) Yeah, all right, dude. Even Roger Goodell came out and said he would support and encourage an NFL team to sign Colin Kaepernick. Interesting 180, but that's besides the point. Colin Kaepernick is probably, by my estimation at least, going to be an NFL quarterback whenever the next season is. We still don't know what it looks like with the coronavirus and if there's going to be another a next NFL season. I think that there probably will be. The owners are greedy enough to where any sort of sickness or danger to their players isn't going to have an impact on whether or not there's a season. Man, I'm so pessimistic today. Jeez. There's probably going to be a season. And I believe that Colin Kaepernick will be on a roster. The question is, what roster is suitable for a guy like Colin Kaepernick? Now, there are a lot of things that you have to weigh. Because it's not just a matter of picking one of the 32 teams and putting on that jersey and signing the contract if you're Colin Kaepernick. There are certain factors that one must consider when we talk about what team would be a good fit for Colin Kaepernick. Factor number one, I don't think Colin Kaepernick needs to go and try to compete to be a starter in the NFL. Do I think Colin Kaepernick has talent? 
Hell yeah. Do I think Colin Kaepernick could be a starting quarterback in the NFL? Damn right. Do I think that Colin Kaepernick, in addition to the social burden that he currently carries, needs to also carry the burden of trying to beat somebody out for a starting job? Nope. I think it would be in Colin Kaepernick's best interest to go somewhere where he is comfortably the backup. Because then there's no added drama of if he doesn't go out there and perform. Even if he goes out there and performs like a top 20 quarterback, right? He doesn't have to be as bad as uh, who was terrible. Nate, Nate Peterman, right? Nate Peterman for the Buffalo Bills. I think he's a Raider now. He doesn't have to go out there and be that bad if he's Mitchell Trubisky bad. People are going to sit up here and say, right, see, he should have never been in the NFL to begin with. He didn't get blackballed. He just didn't have it anymore. I don't want that on Colin Kaepernick's plate. I think he needs to go somewhere where he's comfortably a backup and he can play a role, be a veteran leader in the locker room, and have the social platform that he deserves. Factor number two. Colin Kaepernick has to go somewhere where his ideology and views will be accepted. Can't go to Dallas. I mean, we all knew this. I'm just speaking the obvious. (laughs) He can't go to a place like Dallas. He probably can't go to a place like Houston where we've seen the owner essentially equate his players to prisoners. Can't go to a place like New England. Colin Kaepernick needs to go somewhere where the things that he stands for are going to be accepted by his teammates, by the franchise, and by the fans. So when I weigh those two things into account, I've come out with three teams that I think would be a good fit for Colin Kaepernick. Team number one, the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, that had to be obvious, right? Anthony Lynn literally said, (laughs) I want to bring Colin Kaepernick in for a workout. You got a black head coach. You have a quarterback situation where you have just drafted Justin Herbert. That's your quarterback of the future. You already have Tyrod Taylor, who you've committed to say, that's going to be the transition guy. There's no added pressure on Kaepernick to go be the guy in in Los Angeles and it's Southern California I go to school at USC it's a pretty liberal minded area he won't be chastised the way he was in Northern Cal and he really wasn't even chastised in Northern Cal he was just chastised by the country because of the the moment that we were in as a country thanks largely in part to the president. But if he goes to Southern California, I don't see Colin Kaepernick having any sort of issues with the fan base. Whatever, I mean, because does Los Los Angeles even have a fan base? Do either Los Angeles teams really have a fan base to begin with? (laughs) Maybe the Chargers aren't the best option because no one's going to see him take a knee anyway. I digress, I'm just joking. Option number two. I think that my Philadelphia Eagles would be great for Colin Kaepernick. Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the the Eagles, has not only been okay with his players speaking out on social justice issues, he's encouraged it. Same with Doug Peterson. 
I mean, we've seen Malcolm Jenkins. We've seen Chris Long. We've seen Michael Bennett. All Philadelphia Eagles. All speaking out and standing up for social justice issues. You're in a situation where Carson Wentz is undeniably the dude. You have a guy like Jalen Hurts, who's going to be the backup quarterback at some point. I'm not sure if he's ready to take on that role now, which is what, that, that's why there's a perfect spot for Colin Kaepernick right there. I think about Jalen Hurts and the way he plays. Could be Colin Kaepernick could serve as a pretty good mentor for a guy like him. Strong, athletic, runners of the football. I think Colin Kaepernick could be a great bridge for Jalen Hurts to achieve his potential as a quarterback. Team number three, Baltimore Ravens. The thing with Baltimore, and from a football standpoint, I have pointed them out because Greg Roman, the current offensive coordinator, the constructor, the artist behind that offense that we saw last year that was dominated with Lamar Jackson, he was Colin Kaepernick's offensive coordinator when he first popped off in San Francisco. It would make sense that he'd want to go get a backup quarterback, and right now they don't have all that good of a backup quarterback. Um, The name's eluding me. Oh, Robert Griffin III. So I like Robert Griffin III. I have a Robert Griffin III jersey, but I think Colin Kaepernick could serve as a backup or third-string quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. I think it makes a lot of sense. Now, from a team standpoint, we know that Baltimore has time and again stood on the right side of these issues. And yeah, Lamar Jackson was in the video that got put out. But Lamar Jackson is not a dude that you have to worry about. In turn, you're not going to have to worry about Lamar Jackson having any backlash for Colin Kaepernick. Let's be, re- let's be real. Let's be honest. Same with uh, John Harbaugh. I mean, John Harbaugh has one of the blackest coaching trees in all of the NFL. The former, the the GM for such a long time, I can't even remember how long it was, but Ozzie Newsom, black dude hired by the ownership. Baltimore Ravens are not an organization that's opposed to black faces having power. I don't think they're going to be opposed to having a guy like Colin Kaepernick in the locker room. I don't think they're going to view him as a distraction at all. Just three options. I want to hear what you guys think. Go ahead, hit me up. Tell me where you think Colin Kaepernick could be a fit. I thought about Kansas City. I think Patrick Mahomes could use a better backup quarterback, kind of similar play styles, although, you know, you really can't compare anyone's play style to Patrick Mahomes. But I think that could work as well. But let me guys, let me, let me guys, let me know what you guys think where Colin Kaepernick could end up. Next up, I want to talk about Major League Baseball. This is a first. Let me, let me stretch out. Oh, man. Let me stretch out. We're talking about Major League Baseball, and I'm going to preface this entire discussion and say I know nothing about baseball. Just get it out in the open. Let it all hang out. I know absolutely nothing about baseball. I can give you about names of 10 players. I can give you Bryce Harper, Clayton Kershaw, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge. Lord, that might be it. <laughs> that might that might honestly be about the uh, baseball players that I know. Ugh. Anyways, I just proved my point. I know nothing about baseball. But 
the thing, the, the dilemma that Major League Baseball faces right now doesn't have a whole lot to do with the functions of the game so much as concepts of business. And I know a little bit about that. It's a labor dispute, right? The owners and the players are having issues over what? Of course, money. And I know some people out there, they look at this entire situation and they find it trivial. Why are these billionaires arguing over money with these millionaires, right? There's people out there struggling. They don't know where the next meal is. They can't pay the electricity bill. Are you guys really fighting over money like this? And yeah, those guys don't need to fight over hundreds of thousands of dollars like that, millions of dollars like that. But it's the principle. It's the principle that the players are fighting for because the owners essentially have committed to paying the players a certain amount of money. And now they want to shorten the season, right? Not not because it has to be shortened. The players are saying, we don't have to play a shortened season. We can play 70 plus games. The owners are saying, actually, we want to shorten the season and pay you less money. And the players, hold, hold, hold up. I'm cool with playing all of these games. Give me the paycheck that you committed to giving me when I signed my contract. Essentially, what you have are the owners trying to get less. I mean, because of all the, the coronavirus and, you know, whatever financial stipulations that ha- that has on, on Major League Baseball, they want to pay the, the players less money, even though the play, they committed to paying the players a certain amount of money. And you could say the argument, hey, man. Less games, less money. That makes sense. But the reality is, the owners got it, man. <laughs> they got it. They just don't want to give it up. And it's not like Major League Baseball is like the NFL or the, or, or the NBA, where each team is given what's called a salary cap, and that's money allotted from the league to spend on its players. No, that's not how MLB works. Major League Baseball is the the money coming straight from the owners. This is my money. I'm paying, well, not straight from, it can come out of the owner's pockets, but it's essentially the organization can spend whatever amount of money on its players as it wants. That's why the Yankees are so consistently good. That's why we saw this whole money ball thing with the Oakland A's because they didn't have less money. There's no salary cap. All things are not created equal. It's essentially the, the, the ownership getting to pay whatever it wants for whatever players it wants. So the ownership already committed to paying this amount of money. Now they're like, hold, hold, hold up. We don't want to pay this amount anymore. And the players are doing what they should do, I believe, and standing up for, for the contracts that they signed. It's not like the players can go to the ownership and be like, well, actually, we want to get paid more. Right, <laughs> that that doesn't make any sense. That's the, the players are like, well, you can't come to us and tell us that we're about to get paid less. And I'll tell you this: I'm not a major league baseball fan in the slightest, but I'm more interested in major league baseball than I've ever been in my entire life. And it's because the players. Let, let's let me put it out there: MLB is a dying industry. Baseball is a. It used to be America's sport. Now it's like America's third sport at best. And that's being generous. 
It definitely does not surpass the NFL. It definitely does not surpass the M- or excuse me, the NBA. You can make the argument that European soccer is more popular in America than Major League Baseball. I mean, I see so many kids year in and year out. Let me buy FIFA 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. How many kids are buying the MLB game? And that, that's not obviously the only metric, but I would venture to say that foreign soccer is more popular in America than Major League Baseball is. Definitely among my age group. And the reason why baseball is a dying industry is because you don't have the characters that you used to. From Babe Ruth all the way down to Ken Griffey Jr., you used to have these players that you would be captivated by, that you would fall in love with, that you'd want to see succeed. But I just named you about four players. And yeah, that's just me, but... Unless you're a diehard baseball fan, you really don't care about these players because they don't have personalities to us. And the reason that they don't have personalities to us is because the game is just so boring. When you hit the when you hit, you can't flip your bat. That's considered unsportsmanlike. The reason why the NFL is so great even though the NFL has stifled its players in the past, it's an entertaining product on the field. Even, I mean, now they allow them to celebrate their touchdowns how they want, essentially. But even when they didn't, it was captivating to see a dude throw a ball 70 yards downfield to see a man juke seven people out en route to a touchdown. Baseball is a boring game to watch. Let's be real. Let's be straight up and honest about it. Baseball is a boring game to watch. So if you're going to be a boring game to watch, you better have some captivating personalities along with it. And what baseball has done is it stifled its personalities. The old heads, the ownership, have essentially said we're sticking to tradition and tradition only. And we're not going to let these players be themselves. And what you have are unmarketable players now. Or not unmarketable, but unmarketed players. So that's why I think this situation is important for the MLB. Because it's the players taking ownership of the brand. They are standing ten toes and saying, give us the money that you committed to to paying us. And to me... That makes for the more powerful players. And more powerful players makes for a more powerful league. Because the more interested people are going to be in the players, the better the league will thrive. It's simple common sense. Do we really think that le- players are products of leagues? Or are leagues products of players? Think about it like that. It's a pretty simple equation. Is Odell Beckham popular because of the NFL? Or is the NFL popular because of guys like Odell Beckham? And Patrick Mahomes? And and uh, Saquon Barkley? And Christian McCaffrey? Is, the, is LeBron James popular because of the NBA? 
Or is the NBA popular because of LeBron and KD and Giannis and Curry? Players make leagues. Leagues don't make players. And given that, to see the MLB players take ownership of that and say, hey, we make this league, give us our money, I think that's the best thing that could have happened for baseball. The best thing that could have happened for baseball. More powerful players equals a more powerful league. Straight like that. <sighs> Let's see. I was going to talk about the whole Kendrick Perkins, uh, Kevin Durant dispute. But I'm running low on time. And frankly, I'll give you a little bit tidbit on it. Because it frankly does not deserve all that much energy. It's childish. I'll keep this brief. Kendrick, or I'll start with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, if you had a problem with Kendrick Perkins and the way he addressed Kyrie Irving, take that up with Kendrick Perkins. There's no need to make a public statement about that and throw all your dirty laundry out there in the open. No need for that. Kendrick, there was no need for you to come at Kyrie the way you did. And there was no need for you to go on national television and to continue to perpetuate this beef and then try to own up like you're you're now the bigger person crying on ESPN talking about I still love you Kevin Durant <laughs> miss me with the theatrics man miss me with the theatrics I'm really over that entire situation like I said that whole dispute whether of whether or not the NBA, the NBA should come back and play I respect both positions I respect both sides of the argument. I think that's something best left to the players. I talked about this last week. But I do want to address this this J. Cole situation that popped off on Twitter. And if I'm talking slowly, forgive me, but I want to I want to get it right, man. I want to get this right because I've thought a lot about this. I've talked with people about this. I've devoted a lot of mental space to this situation over the last week because it's not something as simple as Twitter beef or rap beef or what have you. I think it's representative of a very a very important demographic in this country. Probably the most important demographic in this country. And that is the moderate. If you don't want if you don't know what the moderate is, that is the person that's kind of in the middle of the road on things. Right? You have people on one side of things, you have people on the other side of things, and then you have people that are kind of in the middle, they don't know where they stand, they can be swayed. If you want to know how important the moderate is, look at Black Lives Matter and look at that movement. 2016 when it popped off, the moderate leaned a little bit more towards, you know, Staying out of it. They didn't really address the whole situation, so you had two sides essentially pitted against each other. And that one ended up even. This time around, the moderate is very outspoken and very devoted to the cause of Black Lives Matter. And we've seen this overwhelming support in favor of Black Lives Matter, and it's actually making tangible change. The moderate is the most important person in any discussion. They're the deal breaker. Wherever they tip, 
whichever side they end up falling on, that's the side that tends to win. So the song that J. Cole put out, Snow on the Bluff, I'm not going to go through it lyric for lyric. Essentially, what the song is saying is J. Cole sees the the how no name is an expert on matters of black women rights and j cole recognizes that but he also has issues with the way she goes about disseminating that knowledge J. Cole in the song expressed that he feels attacked a lot of the time when no name, uh, the queen tone, he called it. It's something about the queen tone that's bothering me. I don't know if he meant the queen tone overall, like the tone of no name or just the queen tone in general. But it can be applied either way because essentially J. Cole feels like People are talking to him or, or that demographic is talking to him. And this, is, this isn't just about no name. It's about that the people who stand on that side in general. And uh, to give it some context, in light of all the Black Lives Matter movement things, a lot of black women have been coming out on social media in saying, why don't our black men support black women as much as they should? Which is something that I 100% agree with. Black men do not support black women the way they need to. And J. Cole took that and, and, and it, he took that to heart. He felt like he was being attacked in that. And I thought about it. And it was on Tupac's birthday. And Tupac's, I was listening to an interview. I'm sorry if I'm all, all over the place a little bit, y'all. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get this right. It was Tupac's birthday. I watched an interview by Tupac. And he was saying that whenever I put a song out, I'm not going to be right in what I say 100% of the time. But it's going to be authentic. And that's what I think we got from J. Cole. What he said was not right. I don't agree with what he said. Because a lot of the things that he was saying in the song almost made it as though he wants to be coddled in his education of justice. Like he wants somebody to hold his hand and guide him throughout that process. And I don't agree with that, but it's unfortunately necessary. You see, J. Cole is the moderate. He, he he's the moderate on the side in the in the issue of black women's rights, right? There's going to be moderates in the issues of immigration. There's going to be moderates in the issue of, of marijuana laws, whatever have you. He's the moderate when it, came, when it comes to 
justice for black women. And I saw a tweet by my friend Nia, and she put it very eloquently. And to paraphrase, she essentially said, is it fair? No. Is it right? That people have to be guided, pushed gently along to be on the side of justice? No. But is it our reality? Oh, yeah. Y'all know I put out this piece, a letter to my white friends. And after I put it out, there were so many people reaching out to me. Reagan, what can I do to help? Reagan, what do I need to learn? Reagan, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. I want to be on the right side of this. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, y'all could have figured this out yourself. There's books to read. There's classes to take. There's videos to watch. If y'all really want to, you can go learn this stuff for yourself. But in the front of my head, I'm thinking Reagan. They want to be on the right side of this. And if you have to sacrifice a little bit of time and energy to ensure that they're on the right side of this, it's worth it for the people that are coming behind you. So I don't agree with J. Cole. I want to make that abundantly clear. I think that J. Cole, the words that he said in the song, were wrong in that he should not have to be, especially a guy who who's, you know, woke. That's kind of his brand, is being woke. Um, people, in a, in, a, in a perfect world, people would not have to be coddled in route to understanding what is just. But we don't live in a perfect world. And to me, if the end goal is getting people where we want them to be in terms of justice, if it takes a little bit of coddling so long as they end up on the right side, to me, it's worth the sacrifice. Because if we don't address it and we say, screw you, J. Cole, you can learn this stuff on your own if you really wanted to. We don't know that J. Cole is actually going to do it. And I'm using J. Cole as a symbol of the moderate, mind you. If we tell the moderate, hey, we understand that you want to be on the right side of this. But if you really want to learn about this stuff, you can go do it yourself. We don't know that they're actually going to go do that. And the worst thing that the moderate can do. In the pursuit of justice, the worst thing that we can have the moderate do is remain silent. That is the worst thing that we can have the moderate do in the pursuit of justice. We cannot allow the moderate to remain silent on these issues. So if it takes a little bit of coddling, and if it takes a little bit of hand-holding, to ensure that they're not silent, 
and it takes a little bit of guiding, to me, the the ends justify the means. I'll put it like that. The ends justify the means. And it's not meant for everyone. Not everybody is obligated to do that, right? If you're sitting in a position to where you've done all of this hard work and sacrificed your time to educate yourself and you don't feel like you want to to look at somebody who's not willing to put in that same amount of effort and guide them along, you are no mean, by no means obligated to do that. But for those of us who feel like we're in a position where we can be sources of, of knowledge and intellect for other people and we're willing to help those people along, I feel like we have to. Because again, the ends justify the means. If we want to get them on our side and understanding of where we're coming from, it might take a little bit of sacrifice. But every inch closer that we get to that end goal is a success. Is it fair? No. Is it just? No. Is it necessary? 100%. Let's move on to the Q&A. Let's see what we got. We got actually got a lot more questions than I expected this week. What I might have to end up doing is splitting it down the middle, answering some this week, and then I won't put out a thing for questions next week, and I'll answer the rest next week. Um, Because you guys are coming with these questions now. I remember I, I told you guys when I started this show, I'm going to answer all of your questions, and I do intend on answering all of the questions for as long as I can. Then when I blow up, I'm going to act like I don't know y'all no more. ha. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep answering all of these questions for as long as I can until I can't handle the amount of questions that I'm getting anymore. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna split up the questions for this week and next week. So let's see what do I want to answer this week. Cecil, Mr. Hannibal, my USC sibling. Cecil, before I answer your question, man, I just want to thank you um for guiding me throughout this freshman year Cecil was a senior at at USC I was a freshman he was a transfer from Georgia State um and and Cecil's a baller man Cecil is going to be a name in this industry if you don't remember I'll just say remember the name Cecil Hannibal and if you don't you're going to be reminded of it in a couple of years when that dude blows up because that dude has a gift man he has an absolute gift for this stuff Cecil asked me when am I going to be on ESPN well for for being technical, I've already been on the undefeated, so. <laughs> no, um, when am I going to be on ESPN? That is a difficult question to answer at this point in time, man. I have not 
thought out my career path in in terms of uh years you know there's no telling how these things go and especially in this industry see so you know how fluctuating it is but um when am i gonna be on espn 30 30 can i be that bold to say i'll be working for espn by age 30 because i'm coming out of college at 23 I feel like I can do 30, y'all. I don't know. I think I could pull 30. It, it might be a tough swing. I'm, I'm going to say 30. I'm going to say by 30 years old, I will at the very least have had an opportunity to work for ESPN. Who knows what the pay would have looked like or, or of that nature. So maybe I, I don't take the job because of... Uh, because of other things, right? It, maybe it's not to my complete satisfaction, but by the age of 30, I am going to set a goal for myself to at least have had an opportunity to work for ESPN. Let's see what we got here. Jamon McKinney, friend of the show. Jamon McKinney asks, which famous sports analyst best replicates your style slash is my favorite? This is a tough one, and it's one that I've put a lot of thought to. Um, because in this industry, right, you, you want to follow in the footsteps of people that have succeeded, right? So in any industry, you want to follow in the footsteps of people that have done it at a high level. Of course, everyone knows Stephen A. And when I think about a guy like Stephen A, I don't want to be Stephen A. You know, some of my friends call me Stephen B. Smith, right? And, And he's a guy that's ascended to the level of platform that I want. But I, I don't think I could go be Stephen A. Um, but what I do try to emulate with Stephen A is the level of energy that he brings to this. It's particularly the topics that he's extremely passionate about. I try to bring that level of energy because it makes for a better audience consumption on your guys' end. Um, but I couldn't be Stephen A in every respect. We're individuals, right? We, we can't we can't just repeat each other. I think I got a lot of Bomani Jones in me too. I'd like to think I have a lot of Bomani Jones in me at least. And what Stephen A has in energy and entertainment value, Bomani has in pure intellect. Bomani Jones might be one of the smartest. ESPN analyst, if not the smartest ESPN analyst out there right now. I mean, that's a dude who wasn't even in sports to begin with. He went and got a degree in economics. And the reason why I like Bomani so much is, A, he's not afraid to go there. And y'all know what I mean by go there. I've went there on the show a couple times. If you don't know what that means, go back and listen to some previous episodes. Bomani is not afraid to go there. Two, Bomani looks at sports in a way that not a whole lot of people have the capacity to. And listening to him to talk about certain things, it opens you up to a brand new perspective. That's part of what I try to do with this show is open people up to a different way of thinking about these things that they might not have before. So you got Stephen A., you got Bomani Jones... I'm trying to think if there's anyone else out there that I really think that I pattern after. There's a little bit of Jamel Hill in there. 
a tiny bit. I would I, I, Jamel Hill operates in, in admirably so. She operates in in her own kind of zone. I see some Pablo Torre, uh, some 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 uh Shannon Sharp. I'll throw that out there. And really, it's the goofiness, right? The 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 not taking this stuff too seriously. And I know that's a weird balance, right? Because you have Bomani Jones, who, like I said, is not afraid to go there. And then you have Skip, who is really a goofy personality. And I try to balance those two. But overall, I, what, I, what I'm trying to say is I try to extract from a bunch of different people. I don't emulate a singular person. I just try to extract what I think are the best um, the best characteristics of individuals in this industry and try to incorporate that into my style. Also, Rob Parker, because Rob Parker is probably one of the best arguers out there. When he goes for a point, that dude drives that point home with like the best of them. Um, let's see. I probably got two more in me. Whew. I'm, sc- I'm scrolling through this live, y'all. Daniel Black asked me, is USC the best chance to beat Oregon for the Pac-12 title this year? Daniel, I would go so far as to say Oregon is the best chance to beat USC for the Pac-12 title this year. You see what I did there? I think USC is the favorite, man. I do. And maybe that's a bit of a biased opinion. But that team, Oregon's a team that had a lot of talent leave this this, this offseason. I think four of their five offensive linemen are actually out. Mind you, the offensive lineman that they left behind is probably the best in the country. He's probably might be the number one pick in the in next season. Um, but Oregon had a lot of talent leave. Meanwhile, USC, Keaton's back. Amon Ra's back. Drake London's back. Tyler Vaughn's is back. Granted, you lost Pittman. Brew McCoy is going to be in the fold. On both sides of the football, USC has a lot of talent returning, man. And USC was already, I want to say, the third best team in the Pac-12. Arguably the second. Oregon was obviously the best. Utah, it was between Utah and USC, I believe, for the second best. USC did beat Utah, but Utah ended up with a better record. Um... But you're already talking about the second or third best team in the conference, and you retained essentially all of that talent. And they're only going to get better. I think USC is the favorite, man. To answer your question, I do think USC is the best chance because I think USC is the favorite to win the Pac-12. I think USC, it's reasonable to think that they can go one, maybe two losses this entire year, should there be a college football uh, season. I, I think it's a very realistic... Uh, expectation to say USC should not lose more than two games the Alabama game yeah I think they can win but it's Alabama so that's one loss probably and then maybe one fluke game here or there I think it's reasonable that they can lose one or two games this entire year final question Kirkland Perkins asked me Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi, and why? Now, I am not a huge soccer guy. 
I did spend the second semester of my senior year actually trailing my soccer team, essentially. All year long, I went to almost all their games. So I got a little bit more of an appreciation for soccer than I had prior to that point. But I'm not a huge soccer guy historically. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi? It's tough because Ronaldo's the better athlete. Right, if you had to build an athlete, it might look like Cristiano Ronaldo. That's Mr. Perfect, right? Um, but Leo's the he he's the more he's the easier guy to like. Right? You look at uh Leo Messi, he's got the beard thing going for him. He looks a little bit more like a a, a likable dude, you know? Cristiano Ronaldo's had issues with the past. Those things haven't been confirmed or denied, right? But I feel like Leo's easier to like. And then when I think about watching their games, Cristiano Ronaldo's a bit more power than Leo Messi is. Leo's all finesse, right? He doesn't have much power to him. The dude's kind of tiny, to be truth, truth be told. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo or Leo Messi? If you're asking me who I like better, Lionel Messi. If you're asking me who I think is a better player, probably Cristiano Ronaldo. Then again, I'm no expert to go to on such matters, but I appreciate the question, though. Um, with that said, I think that'll do it for this episode of the RG2 Show. I will see you next week.